scriptures up on the screens. Let's go through the Beatitudes we've covered so far. Blessed are. Okay. I can't hear you because of the mask. You're going to have to. Did I got right? All right. Next one. Blessed are. Right? Blessed are. Right. Okay. Now we can put the scriptures up. You pass. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, or really a better word there is to be filled. And the word righteousness actually can be also translated as justice. Blessed are those who thirst for justice. And really what's implied in that beatitude is also the pronoun his righteousness or his justice. It's not just about Hunger and thirst after my righteousness. Or I'm hungering and thirsting after your righteousness. I'm hungering after his. Because that what's, that's what ends up affecting everything else that you and I do. So in looking at this beatitude, we're talking about that which is implied in the word righteousness is that which is right. Out of something that's off or slanted or out of perspective or wrong. And I was thinking this week about something that happened several years ago. Um, I don't remember when it was, but um, Kathy's dad and I, well, let me ask you this question before I start. How many of you have ever had someone try to get you into a multi-level marketing financial plan? Okay. So, so he and I, for some reason, because of actually some people in the church we were part of, we for some reason were involved in this thing. Uh, we were looking at this plan with a, I would say, a hunger and a thirst for more income in order to help things get by. And uh, so we were, we were involved in this process of thinking and talking about all of this. And the plan or the company that was involved in this multi-level marketing scheme, which was if you buy into their company, it makes you. It allows you to have access to all of these different products, and then if you convince other people to buy into it, they become part of your network. And as the networks grow, then the money starts feeding its way up to you and all of that. And basically, it's just a pyramid scheme of some kind. Well, this particular company was called Fund America. Sounds real patriotic, you know. Fund America. I mean, who would be against that? And actually what this plan, I, I renamed it later after all this happened. I renamed it Funny America because we were talking about it and we were pretty close to making a commitment and to get in to this program, believe it or not, and I am a little smarter now than I was then, believe it or not, the commitment was going to be $4,200. So he and I were going to put forty straight $4,200 together and put this money towards this plan. And I could not sleep that night. I don't know if you remember, Kathy, we were at, we were at Lake Tahoe at that conference. And uh, I, I, I couldn't sleep that night. I wrestled, turned, and twisted, and worried, and thought. 
And the next morning, I woke up and Kathy's dad, Al, uh, he walked in to the uh, living room or something, and he said, I can't do it. And I said, I can't do it either. He goes, I just don't feel like it's right. And thank God, we both had that feeling. And first of all, I didn't have to argue with my father-in-law. But secondly, we knew something was off. And there's something about this beatitude that helps us remember. We know, we know as we look around us, we know as we look in our lives individually that, that there are times that things are just off. And just to remind you, these, this beatitude builds on the other three. This is the pivot point because remember the first three are things that need to be rooted in us. That we, we don't have anything to bring to the table. And because we don't have anything to offer it, it causes us to mourn because we want to please God, but we don't know how to do it. And so we meekly surrender ourselves and say, God, whatever you got to do, please do it. We submit to His will and we, we um, find His Word and we try to be flexible in our lives with what He says and we take a meekness towards Him and a spirit of surrender. And the byproduct of the first three Beatitudes sets us up for this faith because I would say that if those three Beatitudes are driven deeply in our hearts and in our spirits. The impact is you and I are pushing each other out of the way to obtain and receive the righteousness of God. It's like, get out of my way. I need that righteousness. I'm hungering for that. I'm thirsty for that. And I want that. And so if you're running after it, I'm running after it. We're trying to outrun each other to get to that place. And the other thing about this is that if there's not a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, if we don't look around us and see that there's injustice and things need to be changed, if we don't see in our own life things that are off, if we can look at something in our own life and just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, you know, I'll get to it when I can, we've got to get back to the other three Beatitudes because something's off. Those are the roots of the whole thing. And when that's working the way that it should be working, what gets stirred in us is this hunger and this thirst, which is obviously a sign of life and health. It's an indication that things are really right because we have this hunger and this thirsting for His righteousness. Now, we all know that we can hunger and thirst for the wrong things, right? Did you know that during the Super Bowl, which happens to be the second largest food consumption day of the year, here's a breakdown of what gets consumed at every Super Bowl Sunday. Four million pounds of popcorn. Nine million pounds of tortilla chips. Twelve million pounds of potato chips. Thirteen million pounds of guacamole dip. And then, there's also an increase of 20% increase of the usage of antacids because of craving the wrong things. And what a shallow con contrast the Super Bowl and other things that you and I hunger and long after compared to longing and pressing into that which is righteous. And as I mentioned, this beatitude is a natural byproduct of the first three. And Jesus is describing for us what, what certain people do when they're hungering and thirsting for the right thing. 
Like, look at these psalms. Psalm 42. I think we have that one to put up. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63.1 is the psalmist craving this righteousness. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 37.3, delight yourself, yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So let me give you a definition, at least the definition I'm going to use today for righteousness. And that is just a real simple statement. It's living in line with God's view of how the world should work. Living in line with God's view of how the world should work. Whether that's individually, whether that's sociologically, emotionally, whether it's politically. And so that becomes the criteria. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to bring what we've lived to the table, and there's going to be this fire of righteousness that takes place. And the Scripture says the fire is going to burn away all the wood, hay, and stubble. And all that's going to remain is the imperishable, the gold that represents His righteousness and the way that the world should work. And we want to help everyone understand what ought to be. Because He's the only one who's ultimately reliable, right? Nod your heads or something. Okay? He's the only one that's ultimately faithful. He's the only one that's ultimately righteous in all of His ways. And we know that nothing else will stand the test of eternity except for His righteousness. So why is it we would crave anything else unless we haven't pressed into the first three Beatitudes and recognize that we don't have anything else to bring to the table, but the good news is what He does is He exchanges with us what we don't have for everything that He has. So He imparts to us righteousness. That's what happens to us when we become believers. He imparts into us the Spirit of Christ and we experience what we call salvation. And then if we know we're saved, we know that we're justified by faith, if there's this, this, this the desire to become more righteousness, more righteous in our life. And so that desire, the word for that desire is sanctification. Um, some of us have been in churches over the years where the spirit of the church is really legalistic. You know, I don't dance and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do and you don't go to these things, you don't do these things because everything is external. And if we have to put external pressures on one another to achieve Christ's righteousness, I would wonder if we're even saved in a way. Because if we really are changed from the inside out, if we're really a new creature in Christ, everything in us is pursuing holiness. Everything in us is pursuing that which is right. Nothing will, there's nothing that we will allow to hold us back because we have this strong desire to be right, not just be right with God, but to do the right things that please God in our lives. And so really, you can look at your own heart right now. I mean, if you're in a season where you're like, ah, you know, if I, if I grow in God, if I get more right with Him, if I see things from His perspective, that's great. No, it's not just great. It's everything. If it's not everything, then something's off. 
Because that's what we should be pursuing in our lives. And so we have this possibility of righteousness. And I purposely didn't include these scriptures, but I just want you to listen to these and realize this. That this word righteousness occurs only one time in the other four Gospels. Mark, Luke, and John only use this one word that Jesus uses in this passage. They only use it one time. Or at least the Gospels only use it one time. It's a word that's a mystery to us in some ways. But in Matthew's Gospel, and especially in the Beatitude, or in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, it occurs seven times. And five times in this sermon. So I want you to think about some of the times it occurs in this, in this sermon and think about the impact. But before I do that, think about this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Every one of us that are believers are dead to sin, and now we live to righteousness. We live in that posture, in that change. And so, righteousness should be a description of our lifestyle. A lifestyle that distinguishes us as true Christians. And what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about this righteousness, later in verse 10, with the last beatitude, the eighth one, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Now that doesn't sound like really good news, because that means if I live out this righteous lifestyle, good news, you're going to get persecuted for it. Why? Because that's what Jesus came to help us redeem that was lost by sin. You and I are in a battle. Anybody ever notice that? We are in a battle. And we're in a battle against three things. You know what they are. This isn't new to you. What are the three things we're in a battle with? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And so if we're going to pursue after righteousness, we're going to have a battle with the world system. We're going to have a battle with the enemy's tactics. We're going to have a battle with our own internal uh, clock that presses up against these kinds of things. That says, no, I don't want to press into this. I want to have my way. Like I talked about last week when I quoted the words from Frank Sinatra's famous song. If you take the fourth and the eighth Beatitudes together, what you have is something like this. We are to hunger and thirst after a kind of life that will cause some people to persecute us for our faith. And so this is, a, this is a pursuit that costs us something. But in the midst of costing us something, we end up gaining everything in exchange as we pursue this fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So this righteousness is a lifestyle that distinguishes us as true Christians and invites opposition from the world. So we shouldn't be surprised when we experience disagreement by others about the pursuit of the righteousness that exists in Christ and because of Him exists in our own lives.
The second thing that's interesting in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is he talks about that righteousness starts in the heart and changes a person from the inside out. Like I was talking about earlier, if, if we have to become a church or as we continue with our journey in these next future months and years, if we have to become a church where we have to set up all of these um, boxes where we check off this, this, and this, and we become cult-like in nature, something's way off. We don't understand what Jesus was talking about. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, after he's finished the Beatitudes, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the difference? The scribes and the Pharisees, they were living a form of righteousness. Paul told Timothy that there are some people that are going to have the form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power. I need to say this in regards to what we are dealing with on Tuesday night in our petition to leave the Reformed Church. Sadly, not with every Reformed Church, but sadly what's happened to many churches, and a lot of them exist in the Reformed Church in the Northeast, is they have the form of godliness, they have a form of righteousness, but they're not living in the power of the Spirit. And we're hungering and pursuing something different than that. We can't, we can't be satisfied with that. And so that's what we're pressing after. But you can't make that righteousness happen by just creating a bunch of rules. I mean, how fun is it when you have, you know, when you, with your kids? How, how fun is it when you, you have to tie them down all the time to make them behave? But how different it is. And maybe... In some seasons, it doesn't happen very often. But how different it is when they do what they're supposed to and they do it for a long length of time and you haven't had to say anything. And when those times happen, even if they're rare, in fact, if they're rare, we're like so grateful because we know something's changing from the inside out. It's kind of like, do I have to? No, you get to. Because something is changing on the inside. Do you have to read your Bible? No. If I have to tell you you need to read your Bible, then what kind of righteousness is that? It's the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's like wearing some cheap perfume. Aqua Velva. Sorry, if anybody wears Aqua Velva, I apologize. that you splash on to make yourself smell good. And it's not really a part of you. It's just covering up the nasty odor that's underneath. So true righteousness starts on the inside. It starts in the heart. And it changes a person from the inside out. The next thing is that Jesus says something about this righteousness. It doesn't need to be seen by others, but only by God. So in other words, we don't take the offering basket and, you know, we don't pass the offering plate anymore. But it's not the kind of thing where, you know, the offering plate's going by and we pull out our wallet and we pull out all the cash. I just have a bunch of ones. And we go, here it is. Look what I'm putting in. Ding, ding, ding. And so everybody notices Jesus made this statement. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. 
Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. I always would get nervous, you know, as I was growing up and as Kathy and I were in youth group and church, I would get nervous about these guys that would want to come to youth meetings and talk about, yeah, I led so-and-so to Christ, and I led so-and-so to Christ. And, and it's like they've got this belt, and they're just marking it. And it's like, you know, I'm excited that people are coming to Christ, but what are you trying to do? Why are you trying so hard to impress us? Because the sad thing about it is often those people would say there would be different ones that would have those kinds of testimonies, and then you'd look for their fruit, and it'd be like pulling up a grape, you know, a, a bunch of grapes, and there's no grapes on the vine. There's nothing there. Because they're so busy trying to impress one, one another. And that's not what Jesus was after. The Pharisees loved to pray in public. And they loved to pray loudly. They loved to dress up in their religious garb and throw their offering in the metal container so people could hear the coins rattle. You know, I have nothing against clerical collars. I'm going to just step in it right now. But I am not impressed by a clerical collar. I just am not. And I'm not saying that just because I can say, well, I don't need a clerical collar, that something that means something's right with me and something's wrong with the person that wears one. But it isn't about outward appearances. By contrast, true disciples seek a righteousness that doesn't need to be seen by others, but only by God. At the end of the day, in my prayer closet, it, that's all that matters. You know, some of you, and I appreciate it, I, I'm grateful for compliments anytime anybody wants to say, hey, that was really good today. And I just have learned over the years, uh, I just say thank you. I don't go, oh, please, please, please tell me what's good about it. I just need it. I need it, please. I just, please stroke my, stroke my ego and make me feel better. I just say thank you. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I've had times where people have said, that was really good. And then I went to the Father and I said, how was that today? And he says, it wasn't really what I wanted you to do. So sorry, I mean, even if you're impressed, if he's not impressed, it doesn't really matter, does it, at the end of the day? All that really matters is what he said. And so what I learned a long time ago is when I get done with a message or teaching something, or a conversation with someone. It's like, Father, was that your righteousness? Is that what you wanted? The next thing is that righteousness causes us to seek God's approval above everything else, which is what I was just saying. Because isn't that the bottom line of Matthew 6.33? You guys can quote that one, can't you? Keep going. That's it. Sorry, Esther was the one saying it. I, it's like it's it's like ventriloquist. It's like I thought Amy was speaking and you were speaking. It's like Amy, how did you do that? You sound just like Esther. <laughs> just I can't tell who's talking with a mask on. So exactly, seek first the first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The things that 
bring us into right alignment with him, all of those things will be added. Touches every priority of our life. It touches our, our fortune, our career advancement, our retirement, our marriages, our families, the fulfillment of our dreams. And when you do this, when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, it means you're letting his word set the standard for your life. It means you're seeking everything you can that pleases him. And so when you put these passages together that are part of this sermon about righteousness, what are we to hunger and thirst after? We're to hunger and thirst after a truly Christian lifestyle that changes us from the inside out. That's not longing for the praise of men, but causes us to seek God's approval above everything else. And the question that leads us directly to the second most important part of this beatitude is what will happen if I pursue it? And the promise is you will be filled. You'll be satisfied. Satisfied with what? You'll be satisfied with righteousness. If you want righteousness, you can have it. If you want a truly Christian lifestyle that changes you from the inside out so you don't have to seek the praise of men and get get worried if they don't say what they need to say, all that matters is God says it. That's what you get. And um, I could even go out on a limb and make this kind of statement to say the crazy thing, if it's in His will and fits His righteousness template, He wants it too. So if you study His Word, if you have conversation with one another and you get wisdom in the conversation and you line it up with what His template of righteousness is and His will and purpose, and you say, Lord, that's my desire. He goes, that's easy, that's my desire too. The only time the desires of a heart become difficult is when they don't line up with what God wants in our lives. If you want it, you can have a closer walk with God. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want it, you can do God's will. If you want it, you can grow more spiritually. If you want it, you can become a man of God or a woman of God. If you want it, you can change deeply ingrained habits. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, When you want what God wants more than anything in the world, you will have it. Because, ultimately, at the end of the day, when we're filled with righteousness, we're filled with Christ. When Jesus says you will be filled, he means you'll be filled with Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. I think we have that one. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that is as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because you are in Christ Jesus, he's in you. That's why John talked about, or the Gospels talk about all the aspects of Jesus. If you're hungry, you come and eat the bread of life. If you're thirsty, you drink from the water of life. If you're weary and heavy laden, you come to Him to find rest. If you're guilty, you come to Him to find forgiveness. If you're far from God, like the prodigal son, you come back to Him. The French philosopher Pascal said, does anybody know what he said? Yeah, that was good. Esther, get that one too? I guess. 
Pascal talked about how we all have this God-shaped vacuum, and the only thing that can fill it is this life force. If we don't fill it with God, what will happen? We'll fill it with something else. St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on which way you pronounce his name, whichever you choose, explained the problem this way. O oh God, you have made us for yourself, oh, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts, anybody know that one? I really didn't send my notes to Esther, that's, that's good, Esther. Our oh God, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We're never happy until we surrender completely. We're meek and we recognize we have nothing else to offer. Blessed are you those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, as I get ready to finish up, I want to read a passage of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, which seems kind of crazy. But I think it positions us in the right place for what's to come this particular week. Everybody, we are, we are on the edge of a decision that's going to move us into a, a land, I would call it a promised land, so to speak. And what I mean by that is into a, into a land of, quote, unquote, milk and honey. It's going to move us into a land of provision and opportunity that we've been dreaming about, but we have nothing to do with. We're giving, does that make sense? We're being handed some things that others have paid the price for, and we're going to get the benefit of it. So this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20, talk about talk about what happened to the Israelites when they entered into the promised land. And they said, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Which has to do with staying in alignment with His righteousness. We still need to keep the same posture, the same attitude, no matter what happens in the weeks and the months to come. When you have lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought your you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, verse 17 and 18, very important. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. If you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I warn you today that you shall surely perish. 
Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Can I encourage us with something this morning as I finish? Especially those of you that have walked together with us over these last seven years, seven and a half years, I guess. Let's never forget what God has done for us. Let's never forget the value of small beginnings. Let's never forget that He orchestrated uh, the connections of relationships. As I've mentioned before, you know, we've had the privilege, and many of you have too, of having relationships all over the country. And no matter what happens over the next several weeks and months to come, the relationships, the sovereign connections that God has made that I think represent His righteousness. They represent in His sovereign plan and the template that He's laid out. He says, I want these people to meet each other at, at such a time as this for this purpose. And we don't want to ever forget that. Well, He's done it. So that what will happen is like happens with many of us with people that you know. Kathy and I have friends we could get on the phone with someone or they could call and say, hey, we happen to be in New York. We want to come visit. And it would be like we were with them yesterday. And I believe that's going to be the same case for all of us as well. I don't have as many, more, as many years left on the planet as some of you. But as long as I'm on the planet and as long as I can talk uh, intelligently and I'm not drooling on myself, I want to have my life connected with your life in whatever way God has designed and purposed. That's what's right. To me, that's what righteousness represents. It's what makes everything right. It's what defeats the enemy because of our connection to him and to one another. And it's when we enjoy the benefits of living in line with how life is really good. And that is a good thing. Amen? Let's stand up, everybody.